have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your sweet, sweet spirit in the, in the room today. God, as we gather together to worship your name, Lord, help us in this season of 2021 to be healthy. Lord, to be full of you, to be connected with you and connected with other believers. God, when the day is as it is, that the real church would rise up. And Father, not just be outwardly working, but Father, that you have been inwardly working on us. That we would be the church and not just do church. Lord, that we would become Christ-like from inside then to outside. And Lord, it starts here in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships. Lord, that you would sanctify us, make us holy as you are holy. And all God's people said, amen. I want to talk to you about a new series called When We Fail at Together. And and the Lord kind of put this on my heart uh, way back in November, December of 2020, because in a year like uh, 2020 and the time that we live in, it's very easy when we get disconnected. Uh, We start getting disconnected from our church family. You get disconnected from your real family. Some of you might think that's a blessing, but, uh, you know, you get disconnected from people. And it's easy for those relationships to kind of pull apart, even in a marriage when it's very stressful. Uh, My wife, you know, she's working in, uh, she works in a nursing home and in the medical field. And so just the stress alone, just in our marriage during this time period has been uh, intense and the tiredness and the fatigue and all those things happen and comes in and you get disconnected. And so I've really felt not even for our marriages, for our relationships, for our families, even for our church family, what, is it, what are the things that often cause us to fail at being together? Being together with your children, being con- together with your spouse, being together with your family, and especially being together with your church family. And so uh, this morning we're going to talk about when blame wants another name. Each of these are going to be a B word, but uh, this one is going to be blame. And so how many of you had siblings when you were growing up and your parents would do something like this? They'd come into a a messy room or a situation where there's a spill on the couch and they come in and say, all right, who did it? And it's like an episode of Cops or, you know, like NYPD Blue or something. And you're, you're there and I've got two little girls, you know, so you come in. Okay, what happened? Who did it? All of a sudden it's like this moment. And they look at each other. It's like, who's going to crack first? Are she going to tell on me or I'm going to tell on her? And immediately my three-year-old goes, it was Ari. Ari did it. Uh, You know, she, it was Ari. And then Ari begins to say, no, actually, she did it first. She got that out first or she did this first. And then then all of a sudden, then, you know, instigate sibling rivalry already, you know. So uh, blame, you know, when, when sometimes it's just a natural part of, of our life, of the natural human response is blame. And so, you know, as a good parent, we just say, you're both in trouble. The end. (laughs) So we don't have to worry about it. But, you know, every family and every person responds to crisis in a different way. All the different challenges, each of us respond a different way. Many Many of the times, it's shaped by who we are as individuals. It's shaped by the things and the ways we grew up. Our, the way we respond to anger is often how we saw our parents model anger. The way we respond to criticism and take advice is often how we grew up as a child or things that happened to us as a teenager. 
A lot of our definitions of love and relationships are based in these early years. And what happens is even the best Christians, when stress comes in and challenges come in, we often easily revert back to the ways we grew up. It just comes out of us. It's just our nature on the inside. Those innate things often just come back out. That old man is hard to kill. And so however we were raised, oftentimes, even in a marriage, However you responded or saw love demonstrated, that's often what's going to come out when the pressure's on. Somebody say amen. So even for Christians, how we respond in stressful times like 2020, fear enters the world through a virus, an economic crisis, political division, and lawlessness, and all these things, all of our families, our marriages, our churches have faced unprecedented challenges And so I believe to succeed as families and to succeed as a church family, we have got to guard ourselves on being together. Everybody say, together. Why do we fail at being together? When do we fail at being a family together? When do we fail at being a church family together? When blame wants another name, all right? If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. If you're there, somebody say, amen. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband who was with her. Everybody say, with her. With her. And he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings, and heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate it. Have you ever heard that before? Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Uh, There's a story of a Sunday school teacher who asked this little girl if she knew the story of Adam and Eve. And she said, yeah, you know, first God created Adam. Uh, And then she looked at the Sunday school teacher and said, but then he said, I think I can do better. So then he made girls, right? Uh, I have girls, so I can say that. What happened in this garden? You got to think, go, let's go back and kind of get the idea here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the very last thing he made was man, the pinnacle of all creation, and he breathed his own very spiritual breath into man. He, formed, he spoke everything else to an existence, but with man, he formed him with his own hand. In fact, man's, uh, God's fingerprint was on man. Man became a living being. God said, let us make man in our image, and we became like God. We could love, we could have joy, we could create we could build we could invent we could have all these identities to be with him and commune with him we looked like him in the sense that we had his creative image we were a spiritual being meant to have communion with God even more than the angels and yet there was a moment where Satan entered into this serpent as the story goes and that Satan deceived Eve and caused her to doubt the word of God And the first thing that comes into this relationship, which was a perfect, selfless relationship, one where Eve lived to please Adam, Adam lived to please Eve, and God wanted to please man, and man wanted to please God. It was the perfect, symbiotic relationship of worship, of selfless love. They could not think of anger. They could not get jealous. They could not get angry. They couldn't even sin if they wanted to. It's hard to even imagine 
a day like that. It's hard to even imagine. You didn't even want to lust. You didn't even want to get angry. You couldn't even get jealous. Ladies, even if you burnt supper, he couldn't even get mad at you, right? There's nothing, if he forgot to pick up stuff, she'd just be like, oh, honey, I love you so much. I mean, there's, they couldn't even get mad at each other. Can you imagine? And in a moment, in a moment it was gone. The first sin was this. It was to doubt that God's word was good enough. The first thing was to doubt that God's word was good enough. The first thing is the serpent said, surely, maybe God didn't give you everything that is really good. Maybe God's word isn't enough. Maybe God's holding back on you. Maybe God's plan for your life really isn't enough. Maybe the peace he has isn't the full peace. Maybe the love he has isn't the full love. Maybe the life that he really has given you, maybe there's more beyond what God has said. You ever thought that in your life before? Man, God, this is what your word says. This is how I'm supposed to have a relationship with this person. This is how I'm supposed to love this person. You said turn the other cheek. God, that doesn't sound like a good plan, Lord. I like to take it out on Facebook, right? I mean, this is how we think I should do this. This is how I, and then we say, but I doubt that his word is enough. How many people believe God's word's enough? His word is enough. They doubted God's goodness. Maybe his word isn't good enough. Maybe his word is insufficient. What if God's held it back from me? That's the first sin, doubting God's goodness. The second sin was this, blaspheming God's goodness. He says, who's told you you haven't eaten? Who's, who told you to eat this thing? Adam says, the woman you gave me, Lord. You even notice that? You gave her to me. What are you calling me for? Man, this is, if you hadn't given her to me this and she hadn't have done that, man, it's really, it's really not my fault, God. If you hadn't have done this, maybe your gift is insufficient. Maybe your blessings on my life are insufficient, God. Maybe you haven't given me enough finances that I could really get through, and I wouldn't be like I am today. Maybe I had, if I would have had better parents, God, then things would have turned out better in my life. Maybe if I'd have been blessed with better looks, God, maybe it wouldn't have been this way, right? Eve was the pinnacle. Ladies, listen to this. This is for you. God's best creation for Adam was Eve. The very last thing, you save the best for last, the very last thing God created in the history of the world was woman. Ladies, you can take that home, preach it all day, all you want to do, right? The very best thing God could ever create was a woman, and that is biblical. The very best thing for Adam, this is your helpmate, your soulmate, your one and only. This is someone meant to bless you and you to bless her. And he says, but maybe she's not good enough. Maybe you didn't give me enough. Maybe your word is insufficient. Maybe your blessings, God, are insufficient. You know, we can do the same thing as Christians today. Maybe if God would give me more peace. Maybe God would give me more love. Maybe if I could get more patience, God, you didn't give me enough patience. God, you didn't give me enough love for this person. God, you didn't give me enough finances. We begin to doubt. Maybe God has not given us enough to live the best life possible. These two things entered into the world and immediately the consequences came. Selfless, selfless turned into selfishness. They began to separate themselves from God. Look, look what happened. They defended themselves, they justified themselves, and then they began to compare themselves. We're always comparing ourselves with other people. That's from the very beginning. And get this, if you can blaspheme God, it's nothing to blame somebody else. You know this? If you can, can you imagine Adam coming to God himself and saying, uh, uh, you did it, God, right? You gave me her, so it's you and it's her. I don't know what you're talking about me for. If you didn't do this and if she didn't do that, then I wouldn't be here, right? We would have this conversation. And immediately he blasphemed the Lord 
and he blamed her. The root word for blame, you don't see it a whole lot in Scripture. It's an Anglo-French word. And the root word for blame, guess what it is? Blaspheme. To blame is literally to blaspheme. And what Adam did that day was this. I look at you, God, and you're insufficient. And I look at her, and she's insufficient. He began to judge the Lord and judge her. He blasphemed God, and he blasphemed the very person made in God's image. And to blame a person is as to blaspheme God. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Makes you think twice about what we post on Facebook. But to blame someone is literally the same sin as to blaspheme God. Watch this. Blame gives you three things. I'm going to tell you real fast today. Blame does three things. And let me tell you, at the very beginning, this pastor and every person in this room, we're all guilty of blame. And every day, you and I have three, three things I want us to challenge ourselves to do. When blame begins to show itself, when we begin to pass judgment and guilt, because blame is one of the leading killers of our families. It's one of the leading killers of our church family. And anywhere you find blame, there is always bitterness. And anywhere there's bitterness, there's always broken relationships. And the first thing blame does is this. Number one, blame says, I'm better. He says, it's all her. It's all her, right there. That girl, take her away, God. Give me a better one. You know, take this one. She need to upgrade, right? Eve point two. And if it's an iPhone, it's Eve point 12, right? It just keeps coming out. Give me a better Eve every day, God. It's always going to be her. He begins to point to her. And he says, even though, guess what? What does that verse says? And Eve partook and gave to her husband who was? With her. With her. He was right there. She's taking of the fruit. Adam's sitting like that. You didn't stop her, dude. Like, you didn't, you didn't say, no, woman, don't do that. He, she was right there with her, and he partook. In fact, the Bible says that sin did not enter the world through Eve, but that Eve was deceived, but sin entered the world through Adam, and through Adam, death came to all men. Romans 5. That death actually reigned, and their eyes were not even opened until who ate? Adam ate. Because the covenant was with Adam. Adam is the one who had heard the word of God. But he says, no, she's the source of my trouble. And he begins to blame her. You know what we do oftentimes in our relationships is we begin to judge others by their past while we judge ourselves by our potential. We judge ourselves by our potential, but we judge others by their past. What do I mean by that? I mean, well, you know, 20 years ago, that person was a liar, a thief, and a blah, blah, blah. You look at that person, they were one of that, that person wrote hot checks, and that person used to do drugs, and that person was divorced three times. And we begin to judge every single person by their past. Meanwhile, we judge ourselves by our potential. Here's who I am. Here's what I like to do. I'm good at this. I'm good at that. I'm a construction worker. I like to work on cars. We don't go around telling ourselves and telling other people, yeah, I, uh, I write hot checks. I'm a drug addict. I lie. I cheat. I steal. That's who I am. We don't do that. We judge ourselves by our potential. We judge other people by their past. That's blame. Blame says I'm better. Blame begins to be blind to its own faults. We're blind to our own faults. In fact, the Bible says it's not just all her. God was saying, but you're all guilty. No one is blameless before God. Jesus says that we're all without excuse. In Romans chapter 2, verse 1, I think it's on the screen, says this, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you actually condemn yourself, for who who judges, you who judge, practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things, but do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, and then you go and do the same thing yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? 
He says that we're all guilty. We're all going to answer to the one true God who is the true judge who's going to judge the living and the dead. And those who are in Christ are the only people who's going to pass out of judgment because Christ is the judge. He says it's all her, but then God says, yeah, but you're all guilty. And so when blame says I'm better, here's what we're called to do. One is accept our faults. Number one is accept our faults. When blame says I'm better, our challenge is day one is accept our faults. Any hope you have to succeed as a family, a marriage, or a family of God, the first thing is to accept your own faults. To say, you know what, I am responsible for my own behavior. Look at James 4.11. He says this, he says, Do not speak against one another, brothers and sisters. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. And if you judge the law, aren't you a, not a doer of the law, but you're now a judge of it. And there's only one lawgiver and one judge, and that's the one who's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James isn't talking about sin in the church with like leadership judging sin. Paul is very clear. If there's people who repeatedly sin in the church, we're to put them out and really judge that there's holiness and there's a standard there. What he's talking about is that critical spirit that we can often get in our marriages and our relationships with our coworkers, our family, those really that we're supposed to be most together with. And we begin to compare and contrast. We do what Adam does. It's all them. And we begin to pass the buck. As soon as, as, soon as things come into our life, we say, really, if they hadn't have done that, then I wouldn't do this. And if she hadn't have done that, then I wouldn't have said that. And we begin to pass the buck. He says, no, accept your fault and ask yourself questions like this. When blame says I'm better, do you ask yourself, have I lifted myself up against this person? Do I secretly think I'm better? Have I judged their past while ignoring my past? And have I blasphemed someone created in God's image? That person is a potential child of God and his image is on them. And I want to treat them with the respect that God gave them when he said, I breathe my breath into you, put my thumbprint on you, I have plans for you. He wants to prosper, he wants to bless them. Blame says I'm better. Number two is this, blame wants another name. Immediately, look what happened. He, Adam goes, he says, it was all her, she did it. And then Eve over here, she's like, it was a serpent, and the serpent did it, right? He goes, it was just down the line. And don't you do that at, at work sometimes? Something happens, somebody messes up something on the copies, or maybe the report didn't get in right. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's because Larry was late. And Larry's like, well, it's actually because that guy was over, uh, uh, he, he, over, he overtyped it. He, he, really, he lost it, and so he had to make it again. And we just go down the line and say, really, if that person hadn't done this, then the next person says, oh, yeah, if, 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 if my dog hadn't done that or if I hadn't had a flat tire, well, we just begin to pass the buck and go down the line. And blame always wants another name. The natural response is just to put it off on somebody else. It's really their fault, and this wouldn't happen. And sin actually went through to Adam. And he passed it on to Eve. There was always, blame always has excuses. It's God, it's like when God comes to you like this, he says, hey, did you, um, hey, this is prayer time. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I know you're worshiping me to that cool CD and everything and you got plans for today and drinking your coffee. Did you, did you lie the other day? Or uh, did you lose your temper the other day? Did you gossip about that person the other day? And you'd be like, uh, yeah, you know, well, God, you know, really, if they hadn't have been so idiotic, Lord, I really wouldn't have had to say what I said. Or if they hadn't have done that, Lord, I really wouldn't have got angry in the first place. Isn't that how we do it, right? Oh, y'all are like so holy in this room. Man, you know, it's like, uh, I just like, God, if they hadn't have been idiotic, then I wouldn't have got angry. It's really them. Fix them, God, because the anger thing, that's just a result of who they are, you know. Or I wouldn't have talked about them if they didn't deserve to be talked about. 
right? We begin to justify. It's justification for how I act. And it's really their fault, Lord, that I'm upset. And God comes to us and says, yeah, but what's your role in all this? Let's forget about if they're guilty or innocent because Eve was actually guilty. She was guilty. But what's, that's not the question. What's your role in this situation? You know, we all have some situations that blame always wants to excuse itself. Remember Matthew 7 says, don't judge so you'll not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it's going to be measured back to you. And why do you look at that speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice sometimes the log that's in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, take the little speck out of your eye, and there's still a log in your own eye? And he says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is not saying we don't deal with relationship issues. He's not saying we don't resolve marital conflict or family conflict or church conflict. He's saying you've got to do it in the right way. And it's with the right position to humble ourselves and think, maybe I have some things I've got to work on too. Maybe there's things that God wants to do in me first before I address this conflict. Maybe I need to make sure I'm right with God and I'm not going to blaspheme this person when we begin to deal with these issues. I'm going to make sure I'm not blaspheming God and I'm not blaspheming them. I'm not blaming God and I'm not blaming them. And that I am in control of my own actions, feelings, and behavior. Somebody say, Amen. I'm in control. You see, I have a choice and you have a choice. I have a choice to bless instead of blame. For instance... Nobody has control over your emotions but you. In fact, the only control Scripture gives us in the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. You don't have control over whether someone does you wrong or right. You don't have control over whether someone cuts you off or stabs you in the back or talks about you online. You don't have any control over that, but you do have control over how you respond. You do have control over whether you bless them or blame them. You have control over those things. And if you can take responsibility, and I can take responsibility and say, look, nobody has the authority to make me bitter. Nobody has the authority to take my peace. Nobody has the authority unless I give them the authority. I don't have to be angry unless I want to be angry. That's kind of hard to take in, isn't it? Because you think, well, I'm my daddy's son. You know, I hadn't seen the temper until you've seen one of the Harris's. You, had, well, you don't know angry until you see my dad. You know, we begin to go back to our old man. But are you that old man or are you a new man? Are you the new person in Christ? Because you don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to lose your peace. You don't have to gossip. You don't have to slander. You don't have to lose your temper anymore because Christ is enough. Because what we've said is that God, yeah, but, 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 but God, you're, you're, not en you're not enough because I still need to get angry. I still need to tell my side of the story. I still need to, you know, let some steam off because that's what I, uh, and he's like, yeah, but is my word enough? Is how I say life should be lived enough? Is the peace I provide in my Holy Spirit enough? Is the joy that I provide in my Holy Spirit enough? Is the love that I have provided through my son dying on the cross and going to hell for you, is that act of love enough for you to love this person? Because in those moments, we get to justify ourselves and say, God, I don't have control over who I am. And he says, no, you don't, but you can give that control over to me because I've died for you that you might have life and life abundantly. And I've given you the Holy Spirit and he is the author of self-control. You have a choice and I have a choice. Like we read in Psalms 34 this morning, that I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my lips as long as no one offends me. Right? It's a good day, so I'm going to bless the Lord. And tomorrow, you know, you just better watch out what might come out of this mouth. Right? Come on, y'all. Amen. 
I will bless. And it's going to be very hard to blaspheme a person if you're blessing the Lord. It's going to be very hard to have a critical spirit when you get up in the morning or at the family dinner table and you want to talk about your in-laws and let your kids hear it. Come on, somebody. And let your kids hear how horrible your brother or sister or cousins are. And you're at the dinner table and you're blaspheming these people and your kids are listening. And guess what they're learning how to do? They're learning how to blaspheme. They're learning how to blame. They're learning how to have a critical spirit. Man, I'm preaching now. and I'm not, It's got to be good because I don't hear any amens. But, you know, it's like... God, I'm going to bless your name even though I'm right, even though I've been wronged, even though things aren't going my way. Jesus, I have a choice, and today I choose when blame wants another name, I'm going to bless the name of Jesus. You and I have a choice to bless the name of Jesus. Last thing is this. Blame does not only exalt itself and tell you that it's better, Blame does not just want another name. Blame makes relationships barren. Uh, I've had the privilege and the honor and distinguishment and 13 years of ministry sometimes to be talked about, right? It's just an honor. And so when you, and I know we all do, in our lives you have those moments where you find out somebody's talked about you and then you see them face to face and you're like, oh, Lord, I got to talk to this person, and it's going to be weird because I know they don't know I know, but I know what they said. You know, uh, I saw their emails or whatever somebody told me, and then you see that, and then think about this: with Adam and Eve, it wasn't behind their back. Here's Adam, here's Eve, here's God, and he's like, oh, she did it, right here, she did it, right there, right there. And she's probably like, I'm going to slap you so hard, you know, like, because you just turned me in in front of God. Can you imagine? It's one thing when people talk about you behind your back. It's another thing when in front of you they just turn you in, right? It's like, hey, this relationship is over, dude. Man, it is nothing, there is no, how do you go back from that? Yeah, she did it. In front of God, right? In front of God, she did it. There was no resolution for the brokenness in that relationship. None. And God, here's what he does. Their relationship was barren. Every, every son or daughter that would come out of that relationship, the Bible says, would be born into sin. In fact, their first, some, two, two of their first sons would kill each other, right? Cain would kill Abel. Everything that was birthed out of that relationship was deadness. It was sin. And everything that is birthed out of a relationship of blame is going to be deadness. Blame is toxic. It puts walls up. Everything it produces in that relationship is going to die. Here's what God does. God takes them. He makes the first sacrifice. He kills the first animal. He makes a blood sacrifice for their sin. The Bible says that he took that animal, made a garment out of it, and he wrapped them and covered their nakedness. And he put them out of the garden until such a time as God could also make the last sacrifice. See, God made the first sacrifice to cover their sin and shame and to pardon them of all their iniquity. And he said, one day coming soon, I will give you the last sacrifice. And that sacrifice will be sufficient to cover everything you've ever done to bring you back together and with me. That was Jesus. Jesus' blood sacrifice is symbolic of that first sacrifice. And sometimes blame wants to bring up the past. We use things like you never, you always. Those are two key words that in my house, Beth is here, she'll testify that if we're ever in an argument and we say you never or you always, the argument ends right there. That, that's it, that you can't use those words because you never take out the trash likely in 13 
14 years of marriage, I've taken the trash out at least once, right? <laughs> or you always forget, or you never remember, right? You, you always do this, you never do that. Well, that's lying, because that's whitewashing a person. That's blaming a person. That's putting something on them that's not true. And you can't put that on them because that's blame, that's blasphemy. And we say, we always bring up the past. There, I've counseled, listen to me, I've counseled people in my office many times over the last 13 years. I remember one couple that had come in that 10 years ago, her husband had done something to her. And then 10 years later, man, it just blew up. Just blew up in in the worst possible way. Because over 10 years, she had never let go of the blame. And finally it festered and it exploded. I've counseled people before that the entire time they want to be with me in the office is let's just talk about the past and what that person has done to me and how it didn't work out and how I didn't have a mom or dad do what they should have done and how I didn't have my spouse do what they should. And we just want to go back and go back and go back. And why are we doing that? Because we want to justify ourselves. We want to make a case for injustice. We want to tell somebody, don't you need to hear my side? You need to know how I've been offended, how I've been hurt, how I've been abused. And there comes a moment where you have to say, guess what? We are all hurt. We're all guilty. We're all abused. And today's the day to move forward. You and I have a choice today to let the past die and say, God, I'm moving forward in you. I want to have the identity that Christ had. I want to accept that sacrifice that Jesus gave for me. I want to wrap myself in his grace. I want his blood to be sufficient that the word of God is still good enough to live a whole and healthy life that I can have life and life abundantly. I don't have to live in the place of brokenness and blame anymore. Somebody say amen. We can live in a blessing again if we let blame stop bringing up the past. It took God to properly deal with their sin. And that same person that's hurt you today, that person who's offended you time and time again, that person who was never enough, who was not there for you, that situation that was bad and it was wrong and it should never have happened, but we are in a fallen world and bad things happen to good people and things don't always work out like they're supposed to and that is the curse of sin that entered when we begin to doubt the word of God and think God wasn't sufficient and his gifts weren't sufficient and it has appointed all of us to die and then to be judged and you and I have a choice today to say, God, Instead of blame, I'm going to bear these differences and fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to love this person. You and I have that choice to be like Jesus. I want you to think about something. You say, yeah, but Pastor, I was right. I, I really was wrong. I was right. That's probably true. I'm not here to hear your case. But I know a God up in heaven who was totally right and just. And the Bible says that Jesus did not consider it equality to be with God. He didn't see something to be grasped. He didn't think of himself as something higher than God. But in a day, for you and for me, he lowered himself, he humbled himself, even though he was right, even though he was justified. And he came down and he bore our sin and our shame and our suffering and we beat him and we smacked him and we pierced him and we crucified him and we condemned him and we blamed him for all of our sin. And he bore it on Calvary and then he paid the price for it. And so how can I not do the same thing to others that my Savior has done for me? When I am wronged, even if I'm right, I can choose to bless Jesus and tell blame. It's not your day no more. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning? Worship team, would you come?
As they come, Ephesians 4.29, this is a great verse for you to take home. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for the building up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you are sealed for that day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, for just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Jesus was wronged, even though he was right. He never uttered a word. The Bible says that as they were beating him and mocking him and leading him to that place to be crucified, the only thing he kept saying over and over and over again was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You see, bitterness is blind, but you and I can choose to bless. And every day you bless the Lord, every day you bless the Lord, you keep blame away. You and I have a choice. I can say, Lord, I know I'm not better. I can say, Lord, I'm not giving blame one more name. I'm not giving blame one more day. I'm not giving authority away any longer. I'm going to receive the word of God that Jesus, you are good enough. Jesus, you are sufficient. Jesus, you are good. Everything you've given me is good. Jesus, I know you've provided me enough love when you died on the cross for me to love this person. Jesus, I know you've given me enough peace that I don't have to think about this situation anymore. Jesus, I know you've given me enough joy that I don't have to give my anger and my unforgiveness to this situation and this person anymore. I'm claiming authority back on what Jesus Christ has done for me. I make a solid choice today not to go back to the past and let blame rule my past, but to get a blessing of the future. The future was with Jesus Christ to walk out of this garden, walk out of this place of division, of brokenness where people are blaming other people and to walk in a place out with God and say, God, you've covered my sin. You've covered my shame. God, you've given me something new, brand new. And God, I can only trust, God, that you're going to restore this situation. Only you, God, can heal my heart. Father, I receive the forgiveness that you gave for that person. Lord, I know they may not never make it right with me. It may never be made right with me. But God, I receive the forgiveness that you gave. God, I receive what you have is sufficient. Come on, somebody. You receive, you receive Jesus as sufficient for that situation. All across this building, I want to ask you just to begin to pray. Just to begin to invite the Lord. If you don't know Jesus today, you can know him right here, right now. It's simply to say, Lord, I am sorry for my sin. I repent. I turn away from it. And I receive Jesus Christ as the Lord, the Savior, the author of my life. And I submit to his lordship. And I submit to his word and his authority. And he's going to begin to give you, in that moment, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to make you born again and alive with Christ. There's going to be a new nature, new joy, new peace, new hope, new love. Something living is going to come on the inside of you. And you may not be able to explain it, but you're going to know. It's like the wind blows. You can't explain how it works or where it comes from but you feel the effects of it. You can sense something is happening in your life. And if you don't have that right now, right now, right where you are, you can make a conscious choice to turn your will over to the will of Jesus Christ. You can make a conscious choice to be born again and receive what God has done as sufficient for you.